I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's possible that that through the iterative reincarnations that we do in our life, that we're getting closer and closer to our real selves. That these aren't just, sure, okay, I'm ready for something else. It's the stripping of a skin until you end up naked and alone. Yes. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Big Payoff with your hosts, Rachel Bellow and Suzanne Mushin. They've been best friends and business partners for 25 years, and over that time, they've learned how to make their work work for them, and they want to help you do the same. Welcome to The Big Payoff Live. We are here today at the Art Institute of Chicago in cooperation with Pritzker Group Venture Capital and Bridge Bank, and we are hosting a group of women founders and CEOs and senior executives, and Rachel, this is our very first live event. And we're super excited. So excited and so grateful to BridgeBank, which is a major technology uh, lender headquartered in San Jose, California. And its new Chicago office is looking to quickly deploy a significant amount of capital with Midwestern startups. So we're really excited and let's get started. How are you feeling? Hectic, stressed. Because of this, or you know what? It's been a, a week. It's been a week where I've been hanging on by my fingernails. That's how I feel. Y- you have a new personal assistant, as I understand. She called me yesterday. Did you know that? She called you. Yeah. Why is my personal assistant calling you? Oh, honey, <laughs> it's already been a journey for her. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do have a personal assistant that's new to me. It's new to me, guys. This is not like a professional assistant. No. This is. Someone working out of her home. Yeah. Well, not out of my home full time, but yeah, the personal assistant. It was a big move for me. And what kind of things are you giving her? A lot of things. You're about to make fun of me, but you know that this has actually been like a real emotional journey for me to arrive at asking for the help I need, which was our our last podcast. So I I don't really appreciate that, Rachel. But that being said, uh, you know that also I went through an interview process And there was another woman that I was about to hire prior to that, that you really wanted me to hire. And So I tell Rachel this story. I said, look, I got the name of someone, and she seems amazing, but there's one problem. She also works part-time for this other family, where I have a business conflict with them. And Rachel says, hire her. Hire her. For sure. Okay, which is in keeping with everything that you have likely heard if you've listened to our podcast, when, in which Rachel steals green juices, yeah. cars. The, you guys, the dirt that a personal assistant could like say about their underwear drawer. Okay, it was their it was sock ten dr- kinds of wrong. So that <sighs> is not the direction I Delicious. went. But the the truth is, I have wanted the support and needed the support for a long time. So you asked me to bring a list today, which I did, of the kinds of things that I have um, been asking for help with. So shall we? Yeah. 
Okay, so for myself, my five children, my daughter-in-law, my husband, travel planning seems reasonable. Flights, car. Right, okay, okay. So just a second, just a second. <laughs> this is the real list. No, that is. I was reading off of. The I know, real but hold on, hold on. Nespresso order and mail back pods. Yes. Do you know how easy it is to mail back okay, those pods? Skipped. Okay, you went to the part of the list that's like down. Wait, wait, wait. Oh. <laughs> Seasonal stuff. Shoes, heels. Yes. Knives sharpened. Yes. Because okay. Lord knows we need our knives sharpened okay, for sorry, the spring. I'm sorry. Our heads nodding around season. the table with the, your shoes being healed. Okay, thank Car you. Car wash, gas, dry cleaning pickup. Okay, juice runs. Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. So, yes. So that when I go to Kellogg for the day to teach, that I have something to eat. Look, this is the truth. I am in a moment of professional transition. And when we are struggling of moving through professionally from one place to another, there are certain key moments, I think, that come up in our lives where this is just an indicator of that moment where I'm asking for more help. I will say it's true that you and I both find ourselves at this inflection point, which is why we're talking about this today, about what it means to be known and what, it, what happens when you're known for one thing and you shift to being known for something else because you want to be known for something else or because your life shifts and now you're known for something else. So that's a whole big moment that you and I have had many times in our life and always together. Like the moment when we decided to shift from the nonprofit world to the for-profit world. The moment when we were both ready to stop doing consulting. It's really amazing how those inflection points happened at the same time, thank God, because if one of us were ready and the other one weren't, we'd have to break up. Yeah, that would be sad. So this is what we're wanting to talk about today because the truth is that when you go through these times in your life, your brand changes, the specifics in your life sometimes need to change, but the truth is that these moments are in your control more than you think That's the good they news. Are. They that have the to news. be in your control. Right. So let's talk about what it means actually to be known. What does it mean to be known. Well, the first experience that all of us had with that is probably in high school, right? Where you really do gain a reputation and it's super hard to escape it. You have, everybody had a high school rep and that's where it starts. Okay, Rachel will say that, but let me actually back us up to a moment. So my youngest children were sitting around the kitchen table one morning. They're now adults, but this is when I'm gonna call them at five and eight. And Rachel comes into the kitchen and says to them, point blank, so tell me about your friends at school. And they start talking about their friends at school, and she stops and says, no, no. I mean, which ones are going to go to jail? Okay. Without batting an eye, they, they both name names. Yeah. Okay. I, which I will not name here. Okay. But what, was it true? It's a hot, spot on. Okay, spot on. Now, what we know to be true my this was a, a daughter and a son the mean girls start to show up early and my daughter was spot on now jail might have been more metaphorical like I'm not going to suggest they both ended up behind bars but they named the kids early on those reputations started early okay but in high school it was an inappropriate question right in high school I just remember my reputation as yeah, being... Yeah, let's talk about your reputation, okay. Rach. So it was interesting. There's there's your reputation and there's what you really know yourself to be. And in high school, that split is, for most people, it, it really is real, certainly by the time you're a senior. So 
my reput and I'm a twin, so our identical reputation, twin, right? Our reputation was athletes, cool, and kind of like fuck you, we don't care, and, and two little, of them, you know, soft two drugs on the them. side. And the truth was, which we could not in Bloomington, Indiana, reveal to anybody, was we were super nerds and really needed to get A's on everything and really cared about our grades and were really Ended up tracking at Harvard that. and Princeton. And definitely didn't, could not let anyone know that we cared about that. Could not. That was so uncool. And that split screen was my high school. Yep. What about you? <laughs> what was your split screen? <laughs> so, um, so my split screen, which I think is definitely carries through today, is I was always on. I mean, people always wanted me to be like on stage or leading this or the head of that or very like on and out there. And yet I am a super introvert. And it was always hard for me because I was always exhausted by myself. Me too. <laughs> so exhausted by you. And so my feeling was always this split between what other people wanted me to be by day and being simply exhausted by myself. So it was like, go big, but I always wanted to go home <laughs> is really how I felt in high school. This is what we want to talk about today. There comes this moment when you've outgrown your reputation, when you've, you're ready to shift or the world has shifted and you're, you, you need to move on. And what does that mean and what do you do and the, here's the deal. You cannot let the world define you. If you don't define yourself, the world will fill in the blanks and define you. So that's super important because the world will never define you the way you want to be defined. You know, it's interesting. I started downloading Masterclass. I don't know if you've seen the app. It's a great app. And the first one I downloaded was Anna Wintour. Just thought it was interesting. And she told this story that really spoke to this. She said that there was an article that really bothered her that was in the cut. Mm. And it said that they were giving the top 10 examples of what people wore to interviews with her. And that was where the focus was. And she said it bothered her so much because it actually isn't what she cares about that she cares much more about what they've read, what plays they've seen, what conversations they wanted to have with her that were more intellectual, but that somehow the world, now the somehow is fascinating because clearly that didn't happen by accident, that that's where the focus has become, that she doesn't want to be known that way, but that's what everybody focuses on. So this is the, um, truth that I want to get at here is that you can control the narrative more than you think you can. And part of doing that is knowing really when is it at the moment to make the shift. Right. So after the break, let's talk about how it feels, how you know that it is time to make that shift. And there are symptoms. So I can speak for myself, but I think actually, <laughs> I think actually this is pretty common symptomology here, how I feel when I'm ready to make these transitions. And I would say this has happened three times, including the one 
I'm in right now in my life. And it's always experienced the same way. I start to feel claustrophobic around the conversations that I'm, I have this feeling like that old David Byrne song about this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. This is not my conversation. These aren't my people. I would walk into rooms. I'm not talking about you guys. You're my people. But like walk into rooms and just go, really? I'm, I'm done with you. I'm done with this conversation. I'm choking. Uh, that's one symptom. The other moments that I knew I was ready to make the shift was when I would look at other people's paths and think to myself, that looks so much more interesting than mine. And I hate that feeling. I never want to be that person looking out at somebody else's path. And it wasn't that they were more successful or terms that were objective. It was just a sort of nuanced richness to what they were doing with their lives that felt to me like, well, why aren't I experiencing something that looks that interesting. So sometimes when you're feeling that restlessness, you, you generally associate it with this job, I need a new job, but it really probably is or can often be, I need a new identity. My, I've outgrown this identity. And um, we say this a lot on this podcast, cannot say it enough because it's true across the board. It's an inside out job. If you are going to make this transition, it is not something you find out there. It's something you define inside and work your way out. And it's hard. It is hard. And it's usually not the market that tells you what that identity is going to be. Some, I've always found that the moments that I shift from one part of my career to the next are because I've felt some inner discovery about something I'm more curious about or more interested in. But then I need to take the steps towards that thing in some way. So, you know, what's happening, for example, right now, I would say, is that I've been um, moving, as we know, towards the bonfire venture that we're starting for women. And I've, everywhere I've been going and talking about Bonfire, I've said, I was not that person. You and I were never known for being women who spoke in the women's space. In fact, we were really not in that space. But when I made the choice to enter into that business venture content area, there were conscious things that I had to start doing to become that person. Oh, my God, your Instagram and everywhere. It was like, shut up about women, women, women. On my birthday last year, here's what came in the mail. Rachel bought me a ginormous box of feminist apparel. And I opened it up, and it was T-shirts that said things like alpha female and slay and get it, girl. And they were, so they were big messages on teeny tiny T-shirts. Children's sizes. I had to get them in children's sizes. So they were... no self-respecting adult woman would wear them. <laughs> they were adorable, and I loved them. But I had to say to Rachel, Is, are you making fun of me? or wasn't. No. She was like, no, really. No. And I wear them all the time. I know, I see them. Thank you. And my, at the same exact time, my move was from a sort of, um, well, for one thing, it was really done with consulting and having to find a new relationship to the world, but also 
I wanted to stop being in the sort of communication branding space and really focus on influence. So it was like a different lens on a same same territory. I'm really influ- really interested in what is influence, especially in the context of social change. How does it work? How do we do it? What are the strategies? And I'm not just talking about individual influencers. Getting people to see me that way involved First of all, completely redoing my resume, which I sent to Suzanne, going, same facts through a different lens. And I just painted the whole picture through the lens of influence. And here's what happened when that occurred. So Rachel sends me her new bio and asks me to take a look at it. So I do. And it's super impressive. And again, same facts, same she can't change who she is or what she did. But there's one glaring difference between the old bio and the new one, which is, I am nowhere to be found. (laughs) Okay, there's no more we. Really? It's all I. Is it co-founders? No. I did. There's no Rachel and Suzanne. No, No, I didn't say Suzanne in my resume. No, there was no, but there was no, okay, I say you in mine. Uh, with my co-founder, that's Rachel. That's pathetic. I just, I'm not going to put someone else's name in my. Okay, that's wrong. Okay. So I was nowhere to be found. So she did a lot of claiming. Because I can't be influential with you on my back. Okay. Well, the, <laughs> the truth is, it was very accurate. And the, stop shaking your head. I'm giving you a compliment. <laughs> oh. So okay. it was uh, the same journey, different narrative, and equally compelling. Mm-hmm. Right? You did that. Thanks. You're welcome. So what's really exciting is we've got f- other people to talk to other than ourselves. Thank God. That is, thank God. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk to the women we've got around this table. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Let's do that. So prior to coming to this event today, we asked some of you how you felt about where you were in your careers and whether you felt you were at a moment where maybe your identity was in, in a moment of, of shift or change. So a couple of you responded. And so Amanda Lannert, who's the CEO of Jellyvision, said something interesting, which is you said, and I know it was you were joking when you said it, but it was probably poignant, which is you said you were um, worried that you were unemployable elsewhere. You were like the Jennifer Aniston of... um, (laughs) I did did say I've become so associated with Jellyvision. I was like, is there 
it's not even the company I founded, so I just always kind of say, like, I'm so associated with it. Yes. So what is the danger of that for you? Um, intellectual curiosity to learn something fundamentally new, mm -hmm. uh, to meet new people, to reset. That, that feeling of discomfort is where the growth is, and I'm almost always comfortable. As an uncomfortable person, <laughs> really just wants to be at home with my dog. Um, Super I, uh, cute dog. Really, like dog. a lot of autopilot after so much time doing the same thing, and I just I know as a person who's hungry for growth that discomfort new is where it really happens. And do you think that people associating you so tightly with Jelly Vision inhibits that growth? Well, I'll be I'll be very honest about it. Uh, you you hear about people saying, "Oh my gosh, the phones are ringing off the hook in this economy," and I'm like, "My phone sits on my desk and doesn't ring. <laughs> well, we'll I don't call get headhunter calls. Oh. You know, it's it's just like uh, people think I'm the founder. I'm not. Harry Gottlieb is the founder, and it, it's it's just you know I haven't had other gigs, so this is an ignorant thing to say, but it's the best gig ever. Yeah. It's not a terrible thing to be stuck with. Uh, but you always kind of wonder, like, intellectually, is there another great horizon? Well, the good news is there's definitely stuff to be done about that, which we will get to later in the show. That's, that's a great problem to have. And Katie Doyle, who is here with us, you said something interesting, too, because you came out of a corporate identity, and you've now moved into identity where you want to be seen and are being seen as an entrepreneur. And what we're curious about is, what kind of conscious choices have you been making to try to shift your identity from one to the other? Are you trying to show up differently, whether that's with your vocabulary, with your affect, with your words? Like, how are you trying to become that other identity? Thank you. Well, I think I have, and I think what I discovered was I always was, um, but I was mm. I was in a what is it sheep's clothing, right? Yeah. So. I was at a very big, global, um, prestigious consulting firm for a long time, 20 plus years, and then I left to go run a very large division of a, of a Fortune 100 company. And so the next logical move was, you know, you should look for a public company CEO thing. And I was like, I'm feeling claustrophobic. I'm feeling like everyone else is having more fun, and I physically feel ill. And, and so it was like, well, reframe what it, you know, what is, what are the parts you find fun? And you were like, learning lots of new things, working with great people. But I really want something more um, manageable in size. Uh, I'm very passionate about helping women, and that always came with like a negative connotation, like you're a feminist, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, yeah, I am. Did anyone send you child size t-shirts? <laughs> no, no. I, I have some. Uh, I'd like to know where you got them. But anyway, but I, so I left and went to a, uh, you know, from a three and a half billion dollar uh, P&L responsibility to 250 million and, a, and very on note with a 3% brand awareness, right? Um, online e-commerce business um, that I just exited. You know, Katie, I think you just landed on something really important that hadn't occurred to me before this show. And that is, it's possible that, that through the iterative reincarnations that we do in our life, that we're getting closer and closer to our real selves. Absolutely. That these aren't just, sure, okay, I'm ready for something else. It's the stripping of a skin until you end up naked and alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. You're naked and not alone. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Now you're talking. <laughs> talking like a feminist. And we also heard from Allie, uh, who is now founding As a Nails. 
And you and I have something in common, which is that we both came nails. out of... Nails. Well, nails. <laughs> yes. And that we both came out of Teach for America. That's true. So the interesting piece there is that you become, in the first part of your career, then very much known for nonprofit work and mission-driven work and you know, being very cause-driven. And now you have to create a narrative around... I'm founding a nail salon, and how do those two narratives connect, right? So how have you tried to bridge that story for yourself? I think something that was really hard for me when first thinking about starting Eza was this concept of people would always call me the nail girl. They'd say, oh, there's Allie, she's obsessed with nails. And that always bothered me because I wasn't obsessed with nails. I was obsessed with the opportunity in the nail industry and what was going on in the nail industry and the injustices and exploitation and the opportunity to have modern women. And um, it was still that mission part that was um, really interesting to me. I had to overcome that by actually, through success actually, so by opening up more locations and by talking about our mission and, and changing um, who we are and what we do. So now we say, you know, as a nails, we empower women on both sides of the table rather than saying as a nails, you know, we tailored nail salon experience for modern women. You know, it's, it's great because it's along the lines of what Katie was saying. You always bring a piece of your previous identity into this new identity. Mm -hmm. It just is wearing a different face. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get very practical and talk about how to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And I think we have some power moves to suggest. Um, okay, so let's get clear practically. Let's, let's land on some takeaways that you can really think about when you leave here today about how you move. What, what do you actually do when you've started to look at that new territory and go, yeah, that's, that's where I want to go or that's where I've found myself, but the world isn't seeing me that way. Um, as Suzanne said, the very first thing is you actually do have to get some accuracy around how you are seen. Okay, You may have an instinct about how you are known, but if you ask people who know you well or people in your periphery, how am I known? What, what words would you say describe me? You'll get a much more accurate picture of how you're known and how you're seen. So that's where it begins, right? So don't don't assume that you know exactly how you're known. Ask, and then you'll, you'll, you're going to know the starting point for the shift. You also should be clear about what the story is you'd like people to tell about you when you leave the room Yeah, in the new space. And I think the beauty of the stories that we heard here, too, is how do those stories connect so that they're authentic? Because it never really is a brand new story. There's always a golden thread. But you need to know what it is. Because there are times when people might look at you moving from one thing to the next as some radical shift. But deep inside you, you know, no, there was nothing radical about it. It's not actually for Allie radical to go from Teach for America to founding her salon. But only if you tell your story that way. So you've got to move yourself in the direction of the story that you want to tell. So there are power moves to yeah. do that. There are really three power moves. And, you know, the first one you did with a aggro vengeance. Uh, Is that was, a new term? Did you just make that up? Yeah. 
Whatever the opposite of microaggression, it was like macroaggression. Thank you. You, d- you, Thank you. you. The first one is you need to be. You need to start hanging out with people in this new space. You need to network with a new group. And that's huge. So Suzanne started going to all these women events, and I was like, "What? First of all, you don't go to events. I, I don't leave and my. You, I don't. You leave don't leave my your house, house, or your car. And you were going to them, so that was. I just started saying yes to things that I would never, before. never. And they were all women events. It was just like I thought something was happening, but I just pushed myself yeah. out of my comfort zone into the new networks, into the new spaces that I knew were meaningful not just to me so that I could learn more and acquire new relationships and new connections, but where the people that were in my new space were hanging out, right? right. And so they were associating my- you with with a group. Oh, we need to invite her because she's been at the last three. So that's that's a very intentional move. And the second intentional move, which you also did and I did, which is you start using new words. It's literally you start talking in a new way about your life and your interests even if they're you know very much the same you're putting a new narrative together around it so I started talking about influence all the time and you will make yourself a little nauseated by it because you're just you really have to hammer it home it's a it's a mnemonic and people need to associate you with a set of with a vocabulary and a narrative and you just need to say it all the time you can't say it enough but it'll act like a sonar. Yep. So when you do that, the right people will start to yep. come to you because they're using that vocabulary also. Or if they hear you say it, they'll connect to you around it. So it really does bring the right people to you. Yeah. And the, and the other thing I want to say, it's a third power move, is you know, you're now interested in this new space. You've entered this new space. You're talking about it. You're networking you actually have a lot of homework to do. You have to learn. You've got to catch up with everybody else who's been in that space for a long time. So I've been, you know, reading everything I can get my hands on. I do a lot of writing about it. Asks me a lot about what I know about it. And which sends me right back to the (laughs) library. And, you know, you just, you have to be in a learning mode, which you may not have been toward the end of the previous incarnation because you were like on top of your game. And it's a very humbling experience to be in a, in a, in a uh, serious learning mode. And in all seriousness, I, there are some Sundays where Rachel and I are on the phone and it's painful for you. Like you're yeah. in a moment oh of God. real pain for, because for the first time you're in uh, an insecurity around an intellectual yeah. conversation that you're not used to being in that role where, you know, some a lot of us who've achieved a certain kind of success are used to being smartest person in the room yeah. or in charge or running the meeting. And now you're at the bottom of the learning curve working your way up and it's a really unsettling feeling. But that's where the growth is going to happen. So you let yourself sit there. Yeah. And you just have to have the confidence that you're bringing the same worth, the same central value that is you to this new game. It isn't like, oh, I'm starting all over and I'm just an embryo. You're not. It's it's a whole new world and a whole new set of learnings, but you're bringing exactly the same core set of qualities to the table. I, I, I want to say a couple things as we wrap up with this, which is to say there will be lag time. You know, I've learned that there is lag time 
in the way people allow you to be seen Absolutely. between your old brand and your new brand. And they won't let it go. So it's not, you can work really hard, but they are so attached to how they saw you. That's why you have to be so relentless about repeating the words, staying in the network, and the lag time can be year. It can be a good long year. And soon enough, they catch up, but it takes a long time, and you can't be nasty or snarky about it, Suzanne. So be nice. I'll try. Okay, check this out. So I'm reading a book that I'm pretty obsessed with and have been recommending to everyone, students of mine at Kellogg and other people, Rachel included. So it's called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Loved it. Loved it. So Annie Duke is a professional poker player um, and many other things also. But she wrote a book that is about how you make decisions when you don't have all the information that you need. And... It is a way of just looking at the information that you have with as little bias as possible and trying to get the patterns that you see around your decisions to be accurate. And it is mind-changing. Totally mind-bending. And the, the big thing for me was every single decision you make is a it's bet. Bad. And once you see that, what you're going to have for dinner is a bet. You're making a bet that this choice is better than that choice. Once you begin to see that you're placing these bets every moment, yeah. you begin to question, yes. is this what I would? And, and she, oh, she has an interesting fact that says, when you tell people, um, what do you think is going to happen here? They're very confident about, oh, 100%, this is going to happen. And you go, okay, are you willing to bet that? All of a sudden, they become... 68% confident, right? Which is much more accurate. When you ask people to, would you bet, okay, so would you bet on that? Then, the, then you get the accurate picture about how confident are you about this move. Great book. Will really change the way you think about your choices. Loved it. So my check it out is quite different. Um, who here has the iPhone 10? Okay. Bet you don't know this. Bet it's a bug they're going to fix. Do you want us to make a bet on how, <laughs> how many of us know that? If you, you, know, you, you flip up on the front screen and you get that thing that has the flashlight and the, you know, all the shortcuts, right? There's a picture of an ear. You know what that does? You press the ear. You leave the phone, say, in Suzanne's kitchen. You've got your AirPods in. And you walk away, and you can hear the conversation that's happening in the room, okay? It becomes a listening device. So as a teenager, and you want to know what your friends are thinking, and you have an iPhone 10, just press the ear, leave your phone in there, go, oh, I'm going to go get something to drink, AirPods on, and you discover that people are going like this. Every time I walk out of the room. <laughs> It's, it's really amazing. Uh, I, is it's that like, okay? I don't think it's legal. I really don't. Did you know that, Katie? Uh, I knew it because uh, it's also listening to you for ads. So you'll start saying things like, you know, oh, my friend needs depression medication, and then you'll get served up an ad for And I'm like, how are they hearing this? I, I'm oh, sorry, I know. This yeah. Because unless yeah. you've turned it off. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that happens all the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's also on, if 
you go to your privacy settings and you go into the microphone, this is on any Apple uh, phone, iPhone, in the privacy settings you want to go to microphone and a lot of apps have default that the microphone is on, like Amazon, WhatsApp, yeah. And you want to turn that off. Otherwise, they do listen all right. the time for us. For, and send you I mean, okay. And on that note, given the fact that we told you all to be on airplane mode, hope everybody's not doing that right now, we are ready to wrap up this show. So thank you all so much, so much for fun. being our first live event and for being here in the room and being open to participating and all of that. This episode of The Big Payoff is recorded by Adam Yaffe, and we're produced by Lily Bello. This live podcast taping was produced in collaboration with Tyler Green. We are mixed, edited, and scored by Welterweight Sound and Ryan Derringer. 